the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, um, verses 3 to 14, and we're reading from the CSB translation. I can remember when I first preached this text, I'm preaching a different way today, and I'll never forget at the church I was, and it was a very moving time, and it really spoke to the hearts of God's people. So here we go. Paul's writing to the Ephesians. He says, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. So that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of our possession to the praise of his glory. This is the living word of God. You may be seated. Father in heaven, you are the masterful creator of all things. You are here with your presence by your spirit and your power of grace to help us to grow more deeply in understanding you. And Father, there is no other subject matter that is more confrontational to the human heart than that of your great sovereignty and saving of men and women. And Father, I know that many great preachers down through the ages have thrown their hat into the ring in addressing such a mighty subject. And Father, I am just your son saved by your grace from the sheep fields in the backwoods of Sardis, Alabama. You've called me for such a time as this. Here I am. Thank you for this COVID-19 because it has allowed for us to break away from this Roman sermon series so we can address you in your grandeur for who you are. So even in this, we are already experiencing how you speak to us through your providence in allowing things to be just at the right time. 
So come now, Lord, empower your son. Hide me behind the cross. And may the words that I say be gracious to your hearing. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Subject matter tonight is salvation and the sovereignty of God. Even in my prayer, I just alluded to how it was just some six, seemed like now two months ago, we were in a pretty getting heated up. I was just gotten to um, Romans chapter six and, and all of a sudden out of nowhere, here comes COVID-19. So just like most preachers did, we had to break away from my current sermon series and to kind of help people navigate what was happening to us and to us even now. And so which kind of opened the door for me to just to kind of, okay, go high and help us fix our eyes on the one who sits high and looks low. And that is the sovereign God, our, our Lord and Savior. And so but me knowing that the subject matter that I have been wrestling with for a long period of time, it may be new to you. It may be some of you have heard it around here at Urban Hope. But you may be saying that's a big word. I don't have any idea what you're talking about. And so I have to always remind myself and our confession does as well. And you'll see this on the next slide where it talks about um, to remind us of this subject matter that it should be handled with great care, with great um, caution. I should not be um, um, just kind of um, brash and, 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 and any kind of pridefulness. I want to be understanding that when you read here um, what we chat read in the larger catechism, that, that's, that's real stuff that speaks to us. And so what does that mean that God has passed over some and elected some and not others? Well, what does that mean for big mom, grandma and everybody else and you know, all of that stuff? How did that all fit in? I don't know, but I know this. I know that salvation is of the Lord, according to Jonah, chapter one, verse, I mean, two and verse nine. And so the Westminster Confession of Faith remind us that this doctrine of the high mystery of predestination is to be handled with special prudence, basically with care with concern. So you get this. I know a lot of the young Calvinists back in the old days, they got it and they went around beating folks over the head. That's not how you should handle this. Please hear me. Don't handle it like that. Um, handle it with care, with prudence. Um, and so that man, when you're talking about this, is we know it's in the word of God, but we should do that with, with some gentleness and with care. And I hope to do that tonight. So Holy Spirit, I pray help that you would help me to do that. And so, which leads me to my next statement. Um, the sovereignty of God is like a very, um, uh, like I like to say it, um, this is not original to me, but it's like a hard piece of candy. Um, some of y'all love candy. I know my wife does, and I do, you know, good now later, get me over the top, you know, when I'm nervous, get me a now later or something. But typically, if you get a, um, a hard piece of candy, and you got that really good part in the middle, and that's called the sugar, you know, the, the chocolate or whatever it is, the caramel. And that's how I like to understand God's sovereignty, like a hard piece of candy. And the more you, you get into the center of it, it's where you start to experience the, really the sweetness of it. And, and, and so, and I've been, you know, been handling this God's sovereignty for a long time. So I would say I'm, I've gotten down to the sweetness of it. Now, not everybody's there. And I understand that. You know, they're still, they're still wondering why such and such happened in 1965, you know, <laughs> and, you know, I understand that. But and but I understand, you know, but 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 what I'm saying is 
That's what the sovereignty of God is like. You, you, have to, you have to think deeply about it. It's all over the Bible. It's everywhere. You can't miss it. And so, therefore, you have to understand that. So, tonight, what is the sovereignty of God? Next slide. What is the sovereignty of God? What do we mean when we say that? And I just put a little snippet. Um, you, can, you can make it sound more high and flighty than that, but this is really what it gets down to. Supreme authority over everything that happens. Right now, how many hairs you got on your head, Bridget? God knows. He put it there. And when you lose one, God knows exactly how much is left. He knows when your mouth gets dry and you need a drink of water like I do right now. God knows everything. That happens and he is in complete control down to the smallest and the biggest details. Let that sink in. What time you wake up in the morning? Time you go to sleep. He knows where you was going to be born, who your parents were going to be. Whether you had good parents or bad parents, good father or bad father, good mother or bad mom, rich or poor. I should, that's why I say that's one of the things I used to wrestle with God. Why Sardis? Come on. <laughs> I, not, now, I used to say Bill Gates. I won't say Bill Gates no more, but, you know, give me somebody else. You know. <laughs> No, I take Jordan's money. Why didn't you give me a father like Jordan? You know, I, then I could have been the next Jordan or something, you know? But he chose poor Sardis, some parents that didn't even finish school in the second, third grade, sharecroppers. That's where he landed me. So I come in the world asking the question, why here? <laughs> why not over there, somewhere else? So God's sovereignty, his complete control over every detail of your life and over all of life, big and small. And so, therefore, the next slide here says the sovereignty of God includes all authentic, genuine, and I must say genuine. You got to say that today. You didn't have to say that 50 years ago, but you got to say that today. Genuine salvation in the life of all who are born from above. He's sovereign over everything which includes you and I, salvation, and those who have been born from above. Next slide. Which Ephesians 1 to 14, and I'm only going to go to verse 6, says this salvation that it started before the foundation of the world. Let that sink in. You didn't just get salvation. God had it planned before the worlds were even framed. And Ephesians says, blessed is the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, even as he chose. This Greek word chose means to choose out of. It was not osmosis that you are saved by his grace tonight. He chose. When did he choose, Pastor Hardy? Before the foundation of the world, before you were given the name Altuno. Some people call me Altuno. How you get out into Altuno, I don't know. Sandra, I get all, I got, man, I probably got about a hundred names. Al, Altun, Altan, Iki, I don't know what it is. Louisville, Louisville, I got all kinds of names. And the good thing about God know all about those names. And he chose us in before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us 
for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. According to who? Who gets to make this decision on who God chooses? Who's coercing Yahweh? Who's got his arm put to his back and say, yeah, make that choice? It says, according to the purpose of his will. Man, I remember when that hit me. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This salvation started in what scholars call in eternity past. Before there was ever a world, God had a plan with those of us he would choose. And this brings me to Genesis chapter 2, where we brought this out last week. And I'm bringing it out again this week because last week we dealt with suffering and evil in the sovereignty of God. And everything kind of comes out of here. And this is right after this, this verse. I'm going to put some what I call some philosophical questions that that I want to guide us for the rest of our sermon talk here today. But here God has made this great garden of eating. He's made this man and then he puts the man. He said the Lord God commanded the man. Adam, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you not, must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. First time we see the word evil show up, which we get death. What we saw last Friday night, evil, death, murder, crime. That's evil. Taking a young man life at 29. That's evil. That's not good. God said the day you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil for the day you eat of it. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. That's why our parents die. That's why we're going to die. That's why, that's why you see um, children die. That's, that's why. Where does evil come from? It comes from this right here. This is the whole scene. Please never forget this. Next time you're at a funeral and the preacher doesn't say this, say, man, why you didn't bring up why this guy died? Got to make it make sense to people, especially as people are getting more and more biblical illiterate. Please hear me on Facebook Live. Death is here because of what happened here. That man disobeyed God. And when God says because he was the federal headship of all humanity, we were all there in his loins. And God said, now you eat. Everybody else going to come after you going to die and you're going to die. Evil has come into the world. And death is here. All you got to do is look around. Where do you think COVID-19 is? Death. In the form of some invisible disease. It's the reason why I got this blue mask on Sandra. We've been trying all kinds of masks. She ordered some on Amazon. They finally showed it up. And I said, I like this one. So I'm not a, I'm not a crip. <laughs> she had a red one and a blue one. I said, I should get both of them. I'm not a blood. I'm saved by the blood of the lamb. So don't shoot Pastor Hurry because he got a blue whatever. <laughs> 
So for those of you out there in that lifestyle, I love Jesus. I'm not going to hurt you. <laughs> Got to make that clear to people because they see me running this thing around. Chad, you may become the pastor here because may, I may, y'all be maybe doing my eulogy or something. So, <laughs> so evil comes. Death is here. So what does this all mean? A few questions to guide us from this. Think with me. Did God know that Adam and Eve was going to sin? Obvious answer is if he's sovereign God, yes. He did know. Well, the next logical question to come out of that, well, if he didn't know, why did he stop it or intervene before they ate from the tree? Why did God just say, hold on, stop, don't eat it, Adam. He made them. He could have stopped them. He could have just made the tree disappear. When you're reading the Bible, you have to think. Ask questions. Why do we die? Why do we get sick? What is so wrong with sin? And what was the purpose of God for placing that tree in the Garden of Eden? Should be four, but I, that's what I was trying to change. What was his purpose of putting it there? Why did he put a tree there that was called the knowledge of good and evil? Knowing full well that Adam was going to disobey him and the rest is history. Now that all humans are born with a contaminated sinful heart from the fall of Adam and Eve, born in sin, shaping iniquity. I say this all the time at Herbert Hope. For those of you who are in the process of having little children, little baby Anna, trust me. You're not going to teach her how to lie. She's just going to have the eye. She's just going to know how to do it. Nobody taught us how to be lustful. We just one day in eighth grade, it just piled out. It just showed up. <laughs> like where that, where that lust come from? <laughs> and if you run to the wrong professor, he'll try to tell you, well, it came from those people on the other side of the mountain. That's why you lust. Huh? <laughs> why am I killing, in this, in killing my neighbor because of the, my neighbor over the mountain? No. We're sinful. Contaminated hearts. So it's hard for us to get along with our neighbors and get along with our wife and our husbands. Just like, how can I just can't always, you know, sometimes I'll be, I'll be arguing with sin. Just, I, mean, I just can't just stop it. I'll be talking to myself. Like, sometimes I just want to hit myself. Where's the sinfulness coming from? Back in the old day, I would have blamed it somebody else. And this is off topic. I'm not there now, but back in my old days before I became a Christian, I was kind of torn around with Islam and Farrakhan. You know, Farrakhan was pretty popular. And back in them days, Al Baker, I just blamed everything on white folks. I said, white folks make me do it. <laughs> I said, that's why I'm so bad. I was messed up, man. Tell me, but that's, a, that's another story. I used to say it all the time. Me and my friends be sitting around, man, why are we doing what we're doing? Man, if we wouldn't done this and this, this is why we're doing it. Why are we cheating on our girlfriends? Nobody never said because the Bible said we got evil hearts. Man, I just blame shifted. Now, we're laughing about that now, but that's still happening today. Why are we seeing what we're seeing? 
Someone is always blaming someone. Mama, because mama wasn't there. Daddy wasn't there. Or whatever the case may be. Nothing new under the sun. So, fifth question I have. What will be the, what will be the attribute, since we're all now falling into sin, we all got these sinful hearts, what will be the attribute of God's character that he will implement in granting people salvation? What will it be? Well, Ephesians 2 starts out, and Apostle Paul is writing this. Ephesians 2 tells us that, that you and I and all humanity, that we're dead. Greek word is necros, meaning unable to respond. You're dead, dead, meaning you can't do nothing. Door not dead, dead, dead. Ain't nothing in you and I. We're dead in our sins and our trespasses, Paul says, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. We danced to the beats. We lived the lifestyle. We were Las Vegas on steroids and Solomon Gomorrah and everything else. According to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now who's working in the heart of all the disobedient. That's what transpired last Friday. Just disobedient, just murderous thoughts all the time. Jump out of your car, shoot a guy, wake everybody up in the neighborhood, and we're trying to sleep and raise our families. That's what it is. Paul says, so just so we don't try to start blame shifting, Paul said, we too, he includes everybody, we all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires. Carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under God's wrath as the others were also. Children of disobedience. So Paul says, well, what is God going to do? We messed up from the floor up. How are you going to change the script? Story going bad. How is God going to get us out of that situation? And this is why you need to slow it down. Because this is where the sovereignty of God and salvation starts to show up. And this is where, Lord, help me, Holy Spirit, right now, because Paul just said the whole world is under the dominion of this evil air power. And we're walking and doing the things that are disobedient to God. And some of us, all of us in the room are here today. We know we used to live that way. And now here we are at church with mask on, worshiping the Lord and serving him. But we can go back and we, if I had call y'all by name, just tell your past life before Christ. Some of y'all were right out of here saying, man, you did that. Yeah, you don't want to know the rest of it. <laughs> it was pretty bad what we did at Auburn, <laughs> Alabama, Troy, Calvin College. And everywhere else. Pretty bad. Fairfield High School. Tigers. They live like a tiger too. Real tiger. So what's God going to do about it? Here it is. Sovereignty. Salvation. Coming through what means grace. But God being rich 
in mercy. And because of this great love, which Paul says in Ephesians 1, in love, he predestined us. See, his love, God, because of his great love, which he has loved us, even when we were dead, when I was at the club, sleeping with anything that moves, God didn't kill me. Why? I don't know why. But while we were dead or doing it, I couldn't do nothing. Rebellious as I can want to be, God, when we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by what means? By what means does he make us alive? By grace. You have been saved. Stop right there. You're not saved by any other means, but by the grace of God. There ain't nothing. You are dead. You are neck cross. From the head to the soles of your feet, you are deaded in a doornail. But you've been made alive. How? Why? Why are you? Grace, keep going. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Next verse. So that in the coming ages, no, it, it, you, oh yeah. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. One of our favorite verse, people quote it, but I don't think they know what it means when they're quoting it. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God, here again, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. No boasting in salvation. But you got to ask yourself, when you look at the modern Christians in America, you got a lot of boasting going on. And I ask, where's that boasting coming from? This is why I say most people don't get the grace of God. And our preachers haven't done a good enough job of explaining it. They go so high up, they don't make it come down. You can't just go so high up. If the plane goes up 30,000 feet, it's got to come down. Land the plane. Put it on the track. Put it in the neighborhood. Put it in my house. Put it in my home. Put it on my job. Don't leave it up in the sky. Break it down. I know you're smart. But your smartness to yourself is just for you. So what does that mean? That we've been saved by this marvelous grace. And it's not of ourselves. And this is the means by which God in his sovereignty saves us. Paul says, and so this is leads me go to the next slide here. Uh, God's sovereignty 
in salvation is all over the Bible. Man, I remember when I first started to see this. I said, man, because I preach, you get little Jesus and the rest is on you. Man, but now this is the this is the danger of that. So is, people say one guy said, man, don't preach that Calvinism. I mean, sometimes just, you know, this is why Lord help me be gentle and kind and merciful because you just oh, Lord help me. Jesus, just read the Bible. I, well, I got to argue with you about, you know, Calvinism. All Calvin and Reformation did was bring it back to the Bible because you know what happened? Men had taken over what salvation was. They was controlling it. They was telling people who was saying who was not saved. You believe in Jesus, but now you ain't got to believe Jesus. You got to do a little bit more. You got to come and dance, put money down at the altar. They call it a slick name, call it indulgence. Man, if men can control salvation, we need to leave Fairfield because no poor folks will ever get saved. It was left up to men. That's why the prosperity preaching is so dangerous. Because you ain't got no money. You ain't never going to get in. And then the little money you got, you got to give it all to me. And then I'll come flashy kingpin. Then I can say, well, you made me save a little bit, Shaniqua. But go give me another hundred dollars. I get your sons in. I get everybody in. And then when they don't do it right, I kick them out. That was what the Reformation was. To bring it back to God. Salvation belongs to him. And not to anybody else. But listen to the average preacher. How-tos. All how-tos are what you need to do so you can get saved. And they can get your money. And so you can feel good because you say, I, I did everything the preacher told me to do. He told me to run around the building. I ran around the building. He told me to jump high. I jumped high. He told me to go dunk on Jordan. I went and tried to dunk on Jordan. <laughs> it's everywhere. It's that salvation starts with God, ends with God. That's why I had them read Jonah 2, verse 10. Salvation is of God. All right, next slide says, just a few scriptures just to point this out. I'm just going to walk through John, a few scriptures here. He was in the world, Jesus, and the world was made through him, Jesus. Yet the world did not know him, Jesus. And he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, did believe in him, watch this now, watch this sovereignty shows up, who believed in his name, say God ain't going to never leave it up to us, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Not them, God gave them the right. Who was born, not of blood, not of your mother and father's blood, thank God for your mother and father's blood and the DNA and all that stuff that's in there, thank God for that. But it's not of your grandmother's blood. It's not of your Uncle Junebud's blood. And it's not of the blood in the crypt's blood. But of the, nor of the will of the flesh, no flesh. That you can boast, because I got the right grades, I got the right college, I got the right children's school, or whatever it is you want to add to it. But nor of the will of man. It has nothing to do with the will of man. But of God. That he gave up the right to believe. Next slide. John 3, verse 6 and 8, got Jesus talking to, uh, to Nicodemus, who was a religious man, a Pharisee, very smart. And Jesus answered him. They were talking about being born again. And so Jesus picks up in verse 5, and Jesus answered Nicodemus, truly, truly, 
which means take heed, Nicodemus, where I'm about to drop some jewels on you. And he say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, Jesus says. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Flesh ain't got nothing to do with it. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. But look what Jesus says. Do not marvel, Nicodemus, that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You can't stop it. It's of the sovereign will of God. It's blowing here and there, and you can hear it sound, Jesus says, but you do not know where it's coming from or where it is going. And he says, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. That's how God can bypass all the fake preachers. And he got to me down in Sardis. Because <laughs> God said, my wind is blowing here and there. That's why we can come to Fairfield and set up camp. Because God's wind and his sovereign love and election is blowing. <laughs> And God can save the Shanikas, and God can save the Harry, and God can save the gangbangers. God can save that guy who shot and killed that guy on Friday night. God can save you. You ain't the first murderer that God can save, brother. <laughs> That's who God is. He can save. Next slide. Because you need to ask this question. I used to ask this. Lord, why is it that some come and others don't? Why does some come? I preach it. I scream it. I holler it. Some in your own family. Why is it that some come and others don't? You ever ask that question? You went to school with them? You did gang banging with them? You did your fleshly devilish things when you was at Auburn and Alabama with them. They was at the same prayer meeting that you were at. You're here tonight and they're still doing what they're doing. Why is that? No one, Jesus says, can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him this Greek word literally means to drag. How do you think you got saved? And you and I were blinded in a dead in a door there and Stephen wanted to end Ray Charles. But you're here tonight and you see. Jesus said, unless the father drags him or her, and I will raise him up on the last day. And Jesus says, no one can come. Unless I draw him or her. And those who come, the next slide, are the sheep that are known before the foundation of the world. I love this verse. Solid meat on the bone. And Jesus answered them talking to the religious people once again. You know, they thought they knew who God was and Jesus was. And he's sitting there pontificating with them, and Jesus answered them, I told you, watch this slowly, you don't believe. You don't believe. You don't believe, Omar Johnson. I don't know why you don't believe. But I, could, I think you feel it in this verse until God does something otherwise. You don't believe. 
You don't believe, Jesus says. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Jesus said, I'm God standing in front of you, but you don't believe. And then he goes on to say, but you do not believe <laughs> because you are not my sheep. You're not mine. I haven't called you. Now, hey, now you got, now that rubs people the wrong way. Like, hey, hey, that's not the God of the Bible. I heard, P.A. I know. That's why you got to read the Bible carefully. And this is why I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm going to land on us while we're here. He said, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep ain't going to hear my voice. And I know them. Jesus, when did you know me? Psalms 139, Ephesians 1, before the foundations of the world, he chose me, us, lavished his grace on us. Jesus, when did you love me? When did you know me? What did you know about me? Am, am, am I just osmosis to you? And I know them, and they followed me. I asked myself, that's why I said, how did I get here? I was a sinner out of my mind. I mean, I clubbed every weekend. Some of my friends at the end grand was watching me. They said, man, when they saw me, I was a drinkers of drinkers out. I could drink a whole keg. <sighs> and up in the morning drinking, looking to drink another one. <laughs> Straight pagan. So how did I get from that to here? <laughs> Osmosis? No, thank you. I would give them eternal life and they would never perish. And no one would snatch them out of my hand, Jesus says. Not my sheep, they're not going to snatch out of my hand. Because God did what? Next slide. He chose us, which is what John says. Um, my father who has given them to me is greater than I and all who was able to snatch them out of my father's hand. And I and the father are one. Next slide. God chose us. God's love granted to us by his sovereign choosing. And John 15, he spells this out. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, this is where I'm going to land the plane. Got to be contextual in the times. Now, Jesus is God in human flesh talking to his disciples. And I said, I'll read that. So, so Lord, if I went to a contemporary conference right now, they try to tell me, you don't know what you're talking about. You patch over one eye, barely seeing out the other one. But look at Jesus' words very carefully. Thinking about grace and salvation. This is my commandment to his disciples, that you love one another. A vagabond brought them all together, just like we are today. <laughs> Matthew, John. They're all in there. That you love one another as I have loved you. So you got to think about the love of God as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than that someone has laid down his life for his friends. Keep going. Next slide. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not. None of y'all in this group, Jesus said, you did not choose me. 
Let's get that straight. You did not choose me. I know what you was doing when I called you, Nathaniel. <laughs> I saw you under the fig tree. <laughs> I know the hairs that are upon your head. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I commend you so that you will love one another. And so last week, I dealt with Apostle Paul, and I'm going to end on his life. And how through Ananias, God sent him in Acts chapter 9. He said, go to Paul and tell him how much I am going to use him. He's going to suffer a lot and everything else. And so I say this to say this. Why is it so important that we understand God's sovereignty in our salvation? And this is where I'm going to land the plane. Why is it so important that you understand your salvation if it's genuine right now, here today, on this day? Did you understand this? Saints, I tell you this. The Lord has told me that. That's why I went to the book of Romans. What you're seeing now is only a precursor to the hostility that will continue to come. If you ain't grounded on this understanding of your salvation is from God, you're going to find yourself hating your brothers and you're going to be going totally to what Jesus says. That's how important it is. The fire is being turned up. You're not going to be able to hide behind just a little, little, little slogans. You're going to have to know what you know that you know that you know that salvation is of the Lord and that you are saved not of your own doing, that you've been saved by his grace. So Jeremiah, next slide. Apostle Paul called by God. God called him, told him he was going to suffer. And look what he says here in 2 Timothy, one of my favorite passages of scriptures that I love Paul. See, this is what I'm trying to get us to. People say, Pastor, you had a lot of stuff done to you. Man, let me say this. I'm going to say this for myself. Therefore, do not be ashamed of what went on in Pastor Harris' life. Yeah, I've been spat on, and I thank God for the spat. <laughs> thank God for all the suffering. Thank God for all the calls that I got called the N-word. Praise God to the living God in the heavens above. Praise God. That's what Paul says. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share in these sufferings for the gospel by the power of God, Paul says, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Guys, it had nothing to do with you. I have done this calling on your life, called you to a holy calling because of my own purpose and grace, which he gave us, which he gave to you and I and Jesus before the ages began, before the foundation of the world, 
God saved you. He saved you and I. Next slide. And which now has been manifested through the appearance of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Next slide. For which I was appointed, Paul says, a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which I this is why Paul said, this is why I suffer as I do. I understand the madness that's going on in my life. I understand the injustice that has happened to me. I understand what all of the wicked kings and all of the wicked religious men and how they beat me. And I couldn't call up no Johnny Cochran because I didn't have no Johnny Cochran that I could take the court because the Romans, they were the court. But Paul said, I understood it. From the sovereign hand of God. And Paul says, but I am not ashamed for I know for whom I have believed. And Paul says there was a lot of guys like me, Caiaphas and many others. But Jesus, he left them blinded. But Paul says I was killing and I was stealing and I was working for the evil one. But he stepped out of heaven and he opened my eyes. Paul said, I don't know why he chose me, but Paul said this. I have come to believe that I'm here saved by grace, saved from my mother's womb. And Paul would say, I don't know why he saved me and why he overlooked Caiaphas. But Paul says, I'm saved. And I believe and Paul said, bring on the suffering. Bring it on. Bring it on, Paul would say. Because I know for whom I have believed, I am convinced that he's able to guard that day. Can't nobody take my life, Paul says. Because he's guarded the day to when I will give up the ghost, when I will give up my spirit. Paul says, he's guarding the day. He's good because he's sovereign God. That's what Paul is trying to tell us until the day that he has been entrusted to me. Next verse. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, Paul says, as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God, Paul says, it is not bound. Go on. For therefore... I endure everything for the sake, says Paul said, why I'm doing it. It's not osmosis, Paul says, why I'm laboring hard. I'm running hard. Why I can come to Fairfield, though the houses are blown up on every corner of the city, but I'm laboring hard because I believe in God's sovereign will of his salvation, that God has some of his elect in the city of Fairfield. And Paul says, I'm laboring for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That's why we're in Fairfield, brothers and sisters, because I believe with all my heart there are more deons. There are more quasis. There are more, I believe with all my heart. And Paul says, I'm laboring and then Paul goes on to say, the sin is trustworthy, for we have died with him. We will also live with him if we endure. 
we will also reign with him. If we deny him, watch this, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, we get weak and we just fail the mark. We're like Peter sometimes. We betray him with our lifestyles, the way we live. We know better, but we don't do better. We keep running from him, even though we know he has touched us. He has done something in our hearts, but we keep running back to the same block, expecting that the block is going to change because you come back living the same way. Now, understanding God wants you to separate from the block for a while so that when you come back, you can stand on your feet and you can declare the immeasurable riches of his grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you keep wondering why you don't feel good. You keep wondering why things don't work out. Because even though when you and I are faithless, for he cannot, see, he cannot deny himself. Because if he's put his big hands on you, if he's wrapped you in his love, and he's saved you by his grace, he can't deny himself. Because you're his. Because salvation was never of yours. It was never of your doings. It was never of your hard work. It was never of your running hard. It was never how much money you can give. You can't outgive God to get his glory, to get his blessings. No, you cannot. For he cannot deny himself. And this leads me to the last point. What is God doing? Revelation 5, you also see this in Revelation 7. And we sang a new song. We're in heaven now, worthy of you to take the stroll and to open its seals. For you, Jesus, for you were slain. By your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe, African tribes, American tribes, Sardis tribes. Birmingham tribes, China tribes, Ireland tribes, New England tribes, tribes from all over the world and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Next slide. And then John said, I look and I heard around the throne, the living creatures and the elders in the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is a lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Next slide. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, under the earth and in the sea to all that is in them said, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might and power forever to him who sits on the throne and unto the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. How are we singing that? 
the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and it worshiped. Why are we there? Why are we in that myriad of myriad of thousands of thousands singing unto him the lamb who sits on the throne? You know why we're going to be there. You know why we're there. In God's greatness, all throughout the earth, he had a people that he called to himself. It was never left up to us. And we we're there singing unto him who gave his life to redeem us. And the question is, did God want a robot? No. I've been asking the guys, Lord, why did you go that route? Why not just make us robots where we can worship? But see, as I grow in the understanding of his grace, this is why I'm crying, because I understand God's grace is so good. God's grace keeps me. God's grace makes me love my wife. God's grace makes me be a better pastor. God's grace makes me who I am. I am what I am because of the grace of God. Only grace, only his grace can shape our hearts and turn us into a living being where we worship out of a willfulness. God, you're good. Grace. Grace. So, Father, God, I've done my best. Your grace in saving sinners for yourself and for your glory. And so that we could just be in awe, not to be high and piety and, and throw our javelins at other people, so that we can love our brother across the aisle as you told us to do. That when we love like this, because this love is not coming from a worked up love. It's coming out of a reality that we know that we have been loved from eternity past. You've set your love on us. And it's out of that love that we love our brothers and our sisters, Jew and Gentile, made one through the power of that grace. That's the only thing, Father, that can unite us. And God, I know that many of my brothers will hear this. And say, I get that part, but the Lord, it doesn't break through to where it can be allowed to germinate the, the fruitfulness that you so desire for it to have. And God, I pray today that you would pull back the scales, pull back the curtains, and that you would allow your grace to come to us all. And from this, Lord, here in America, Lord, that we will be able to sing this hymn, this song. Power belongs to our God. Salvation belongs to him. To the lamb who sits on the throne. Be blessings. Honor. forever. Amen. Amen. Brother Chad, uh, come and give the benediction as I gather myself together. Y'all please stand to your feet as Pastor Chad comes and give the benediction, a word of prayer, exhortation, or whatever the Lord puts on his heart. Amen. Amen.
Receive now this benediction from Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask of him, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.